0: Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the Double Edge Double Bill. This week it's Robocop and Hancock, a cinematic superhero team up. week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature, then both will have to pick it in between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode, when we'll have two good movies. the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Thomas Mariani, and the Thomases are podcasting
1: tonight! And I am Adam Thomas, and uh, get the hell away from me, man! Oh, I didn't like- My new look, Adam, out of the toxic waste
0: dump, I thought looked great. Such an improvement.
1: I mean, honestly, I didn't notice much of a difference.
0: I guess I'll just uh, wait for another Clarence Boddicker truck to come over and run me over <laughs> as I wait for... It. Turn you into soup. <laughs> I mean, it's more water, honestly. Yeah, that's no, true. There's no real gore there. They used all the gore <laughs> before that point. It's just water. <laughs> uh, but welcome, everyone, to uh, a very special episode of Devil Edge Devil, Bill, where basically, if you're new, every week, Adam and I pick a good and a bad feature based on us, you know, two movies that each of us has... At the end of every episode, and uh, today is a very uh, crucial day because I will, we're planning on releasing this—the um, I believe either day or at least week of uh, our fourth year anniversary. Adam,
1: oh, you fucking believe it? No, I mean I can believe it in the in the way that like I believe waking nightmares are real, and you know <laughs> things like that. Like I, in the way that I believe there's true evil in the world. Uh, so, yeah, I, I guess I can believe it.
0: Like in an agnostic sense, you believe that, that this has happened and has been happening to you. It's kind of like one of those weird existential nightmares, like I have no mouth, but I'm a scream.
1: Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah, right. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I get that. Um, But but yeah, we've been doing this for four years now. Uh, and um, it's been a very interesting ride back and forth, lots of twists and turns along the way. Um, But with the previous uh anniversaries we've done, we've kind of set uh, a theme. Of sorts, because the the very first episode we released, which was on May 10th of uh, 2018, which I realized this is actually, this day is the four-year anniversary we're putting this out, uh, because it's Tuesday, May 10th, 2022. Um, Yes, to the day. Um, And uh, that, we did Marvel as a topic. Uh, Generally, we did an MCU movie and a non-MCU movie. Then on the first year anniversary in 2019, we did the MCU as a topic, on the second anniversary, we did graphic novel adaptations. And then on the third anniversary, we did non-Marvel or DC adaptations as a topic. So we've stuck to sort of like the the superheroics or comic book-related ephemera. And we're doing something a bit different with this one, because we are doing superheroes as a topic, but it's specifically superheroes created for the silver screen. So cinematic-created superheroes, which is, get in our modern superhero-verse that we have, that's like, you know, either Marvel or DC or some of the other things in between. There's not as many, like, just created for the cinema superheroes out there.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, if you really get into it and look, I mean, there's been some pretty significant ones, but it's a weird little sort of offshoot genre, the cinematic superheroes. It's, there's some real fucking goofy shit involved in this.
0: Well, I'm curious, Adam, you're a comic book guy. Yeah. What do you think makes, like sort of work, what, what's the big distinctive difference to you?
1: You're not beholden to any source material. So therefore, you get to kind of just do what you want. Uh, there's not going to be, you know, sort of, you know, I need to put it this way, but like the, the fanboy culture shitting on it, or, well, this is not exactly how it, it was when, when I was a baby, or whatever the fuck. It, it's just, you, you got more freedom to make what you want and really sort of potentially do something really special and unique.
0: Yeah, though, I would also say the bigger thing is, like, with a comic book, like, it's literally your imagination only searches as far as the page, really, and your artistic sort of limitations, as opposed to, if you create something for cinema, like, there is an inherent limitation you can have with that particular thing. Obviously, right now, if you were to create a new superhero out of the blue, modern CG and stuff like that could probably benefit you, but especially some of the, like, one of the older movies we're talking about, um, there were specific limits that kind of made that movie work as well as it did. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yes. Uh, so let's go ahead and start uh, bringing up the two movies that we picked at the end of our last episode, although one of them was not picked by us necessarily as much as our loyal Patreon subscribers, patreon.com slash pod. More on that later as we get into the weeds of the episode. But uh, we ended up with a your bad pick, Adam, which was Hancock. Yep. And then uh, my good pick, which the patrons voted for over at patreon.com slash which was Robocop. So we'll get into both those movies, though first, we're starting off with Hancock.
1: Hancock's latest act of so-called heroics has once again enraged city officials. I do public relations. People don't like you, Hancock. I look like I care what people think. I think you're wasting your time with this guy. Pulled some stuff up on YouTube. Everybody remembers Walter, the gray whale. He was stuck on the beach. Along comes Hancock. Oh my God. I don't even remember that. Greenpeace does. You're a superhero for God's sakes. People should love you. How are we going to do that, Ray? You have a calling, you're a hero, Hancock. You're going to be miserable the rest of your life until you accept that. Hancock,
0: I need you to end this. Hancock is down, he looks
1: hurt. That's it, make it look hard.
0: Hancock came out July 2nd, 2008 from director Peter Berg um, and writers at least the two credited ones are uh, Vincent Ngo who wrote the original script. This was based on called uh, Tonight He Comes which is an interesting title for a variety of reasons uh, which was a big script that went around Hollywood for a while, went to various different hands and the main person who's credited with rewriting it is someone named Vince Gilligan who you might know as uh, the guy who after this movie came out, he uh, decided, like, you know, I'm going to go ahead and try and do my TV project, little thing that might, you know, do well on AMC. American movie classics are doing TV shows now. Maybe it'll work out. Who would watch Breaking Bad?
1: Yeah. I've, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> That's true.
0: The culture follows Adam, so no one has watched that show. One Season Wonder didn't go anywhere. No spinoffs.
1: Right. Yeah. Has anybody even heard about it?
0: No, I don't know. It was a, a show that just had so much potential, but didn't get to really spread its wings that far. Now, but um, this movie, as I mentioned, like was based on the script that was so popular, and it went through a lot of interesting different developments. It was originally uh, the the original script was apparently much darker, had a much more R rated tone. Hancock was more of, like the villain of the piece. Apparently, involved him like kidnapping the character who would become Charlize Theron's character, who was not at all super powered to any degree. In that script, and Peter Berg basically compared to like a superhero version of Leaving Las Vegas, which uh, sounds like a big blockbuster tentpole that Will Smith would clearly want to do.
1: Yeah, Obviously. sure, absolutely. Right.
0: And a lot of directors were attached to it, like Tony Scott and Jonathan Mostow and Michael Mann. Michael Mann is still a producer on the particular movie, and so all those different cooks ended up resulting in Hancock as a Will Smith vehicle. And uh, Adam, this was your bad pick, so uh, why do you feel it deserves to be a bad pick?
1: Oh, uh, mainly because it's fucking stupid. The idea of this sort of depressed, alcoholic, giving up really, sort of superhero, it's a cool idea, you know, especially when he's basically Superman. Like he's super strong, can fly, and vulnerable, all this stuff. I like the idea of Superman giving up and, and just kind of doing it and helping people when it sort of suits him, you know, at that moment. But. Then it just goes from that into just really, really wacky stuff. Like, he doesn't like being called asshole for some reason. He puts himself in prison. He, The whole thing with the reveal of the Charlize Theron character especially is so stupid. There's not really a real villain to the movie either. I mean, you got, you know, Eddie Marzan, but... eh, yeah, you got Eddie Marzan and two guys who he shoved their heads up each other's asses in prison. The
0: greatest villains of all.
1: Greatest villains of all. And and then the the note it ends on too is ridiculous with what he does with the moon or whatever. It's just it, it, there's it's a movie populated by just generally unlikable people. Like there's not one character in this movie, even Bateman, I don't really care for. Like he's just sort of manipulative and, and using you know, the Hancock character for his own successes. Like, it's just it's a movie populated by unlikable characters and just stupid writing decisions. Just really bad, which I'm assuming rewrites and things like that. And you know, not for nothing, Peter Berg is not that great of an auteur as far as a director to me. Like his movies, it's not that they're not competently made most of the time. It's just there's nothing to them. They, They just all kind of the same, uh, just generic action sort of heavy movies, and, and this is definitely a pure example of that.
0: With Hancock, the biggest trouble is that, like, I see so much potential in that idea. And I think that's what really attracted people to that original script was what, like you mentioned, like, oh, a guy who has all the same powers as like a Superman, but he's a drunk who just like lives on the street and doesn't like really have a lot of motivation to do stuff. And when he does, he just causes a lot of damage. There's a lot of fascinating potential to that story and I think the movie occasionally brushes up against like what would work as sort of like a dark satire of like a superhero movie there's interesting bits and pieces there to that But the trouble is that because, like you mentioned, like so many people came in and rewrote the script and apparently Peter Berg has said as much like the various different forces with like Will Smith's people and like the various different writers and Berg himself and all these different clashing creative people. It's literally a big case of like too many cooks in the kitchen of just like too many different creative voices trying to say like, oh, this should be this, this is this. And the movie is a great example of what you get when that happens where just, like, every 10 to 15 minutes it feels like it changes tone (laughs) in such bizarre ways, but not in a way that, like, feels like, oh, this is, like, daring and subversive and interesting. It just feels like a fucking mess. (laughs) That's the big thing, is, like, it's such a weird, messy movie that I'm just kind of frustrated by watching, because it's just like, damn, there's so much potential in this idea, and it gets squandered on various different weird pushes and pulls with the story. Just
1: the idea of what... The sort of Will Smith Charlie Starr relationship is that they were once, you know, gods basically, and that they're doomed to always sort of find each other. But when they do, they lose their powers. And it's, it's such a sloppily, messily written idea that, it, that even in that, the big twist reveal moment of the movie, of the entire script, is just really sort of haphazardly handled.
0: But I feel like there's even potential in that idea of, like, these, like immortal beings with superpowers, like, meet up. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't need to happen at, like, the hour mark of this movie, pretty much.
1: Right, yeah. And, and also, when it does happen, it's, you know, half assed done. Like, when they're in the hospital and stuff, and he's, you know, getting killed and stuff, and yet she's, like, fine, and then it flips, and then it, it's just, they don't, they have a cool idea, but they don't really know how to carry it off. It's really stupid stupid like it's not stupid like you said i think there is a cool idea there interesting idea but like you know to to reiterate what you said to introduce it at the hour mark of this movie and completely change sort of what you've been doing for the previous hour till now it, it's just feels lazy and tacked on at that point let's not forget the weird attempts at like almost like college-level humor like the the orgasm stuff with hancock
0: which emphasize that's in the unrated cut of the movie Uh, Yeah. 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 Right. Like that was available. I'm like, oh, I haven't seen this cut before. It's like 10 minutes longer. And that's like the big scene that's like different where Hancock takes a lady home to his trailer and they have sex. But really, it's just like she's completely clothed. And when he orgasms, he just has like holes that pop out of the trailer's roof.
1: Like, it's, it's like you shooting a gun off inside. Right, and there's no ejaculate of any kind. It's just
0: no. like air holes, basically. It's so weird. It's like why yeah. is this even any version? Why'd you shoot this? This is a right. I,
1: right, completely agree. And like you said, then the, the the stuff with Eddie Marzan's character, where he gets his hand cut off, and the weird accent he's doing the whole movie, the two guys' heads in prison. It's just a lot thrown in haphazardly, that just, like you said, ultimately makes for just a really confusing movie. Like, what were they doing here? You had such a simple idea. You could tell, oh, we gotta make it darker. Oh, no, 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 let's make it more funny. No, 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 darker. No, 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 funnier. No, no, romance. What?
0: Right, I think someone like the Jason Bateman character who you were talking about is, like, the biggest example of that to me where it's just like, oh, he's doing this to benefit his own gains, but really, the movie doesn't want to go that far with the character. He should be, like, a slick asshole dude who bateman could play perfectly he's done that before just like a fucking smarmy asshole who's just like hey i can help you get back on top hancock that would be an interesting character to bounce off of hancock and if anything should have been more like the villain of your story like the villain of the story yeah absolutely be. like like an yeah. eddie marzan maybe he can be like a villain for him to face off against but like i think the the movie is at its height when it has that scene where after like hancock's been in prison for a bit then he has like he's called upon by the like police chief in New York City to be like, hey, you gotta help us out with this like big bank robbery. That whole bank robbery scene, I think, is like the exact tone I wish the whole movie was at, where it's Hancock coming is like this big superhero moment, but he's still just kind of like half-assing it and he just doesn't, like, particularly the bit where he's walking by, is so, like, people are shooting off a bunch of guns, and he's just like, hey, everybody, yeah, I'm here, and, like, he, he's, like he's impervious to all the bullets, so it's just, like, things exploding behind him, like, the fucking glass, and the cars, and everything. That's a really fun set piece, then, just, like, why wasn't this, like, the whole tone of the movie? This is exactly what you should be going for.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. That was, you know, uh, the fun stuff. The actual stuff that, you know, it, it you would want to see in a, in a superhero movie. Um, and I and I do like the idea of him, you know, having to sort of reform. And
0: and even, like, his suit looks like it's a parody of, like, the X-Men suits. There's, like, actual satire that's in that. Yeah, yeah. it's
1: gotta be. And that would really work. And, yeah, the, having the Jason Bateman character sort of constantly make him do things he doesn't want to do and really sort of exploit him would it would make for a much, much better film. Instead, like, you know, we've said, you get... A half hour to an hour of one thing, and then it turns. They instantly change it into something else, and it's just—it's almost tonal whiplash all over the place. When
0: I saw this initially, I just felt like, oh man, that first hour is so fun, and then the Charlie stuff like makes it like just completely fall apart. Like even in that first hour, there is still dumb stuff. Like you mentioned, the whole thing where like Hancock literally puts one prisoner up another prisoner's ass, and they play the Sanford and Son theme for some reason. Uh What was that needle drop? That's so weird. Why that specific needle drop?
1: I I have no idea. It's it is just ultimately frustrating. Like I'm I'm completely just frustrated by this movie. I I remember the the trailers being kind of cool. The um the poster with his face with those kind of wacky sunglasses and the hat with the you know the phoenix logo or whatever it is on it
0: and even like that opening sequence there's a lot of fun to that it's fun like i gotta like i gotta do this even though one the effects have not aged
1: oh my god no outrageously dated
0: (laughs) right and then also there is some unfortunate i think like both homophobia there but mainly racism with like uh-uh. all the with the guys who are in the, the car and everything. There's a bit of that as well, even in this earlier part of the movie. Um but like that's a cool sequence to just establish like, oh, he can save the day, but he's a reckless idiot who's just doing stupid shit all the time. And I I wish also I agree that it had been in the hands of a different director, because you can tell, despite like, you know, Tony Scott passing on this, this feels like Peter Burke kind of attempting to approximate a Tony Scott or even a bit of a Michael Bay in terms of, like, the color palette and, like, certain shots. It feels like, oh, he wants to make that big summer blockbuster action movie look, but Peter Berg is a nearly talented director to do that. It doesn't also help that you're doing that with Will Smith, who had starred in both two Michael Bay-heightened action movies and also a Tony Scott-heightened action movie <laughs> previous to this. Yeah, right. Um, But that's also an interesting thing with, like, the Will Smith of it all. Obviously, you know... Recent events with Will Smith have made things a bit different since the last time we talked about him. Um, But I think this is a very crucial point in his career because 2008 is both this and Seven Pounds. And those, I think, both kind of represent where, like, this movie was very successful and made $629 million. And I feel like it's also the last big Will Smith 4th of July movie. Because after this, and Seven Pounds, especially that movie's huge failure, he didn't make a movie for four years until, like, Men in Black 3 came out in 2012. And in that middle part, he was trying to develop Jaden Smith's uh, blockbuster career that didn't ultimately happen because Shotgun, Uh. like, Jaden wasn't that interested in actually becoming a star, despite how much Will really wanted that to happen. Um, But I think, yeah, this feels like the last sort of vestige of that career. And it also feels like it's Smith kind of trying to get in on the superhero game. At that time, where it's just like, oh, well, Spider-Man's being successful and the Batman movies are very successful. How about I have my own superhero project that'll become a big, massive franchise? And while this did very well, the sequel's been in such weird development hell for the last, like, fucking 12 years or so. It's probably never happening. So it feels just sort of like a weird point where, like, this could have launched a completely different part of his career that just ended up, like, really fizzling out.
1: Will Smith has always been sort of a hit-and-miss for me, um, I don't think he's probably ever been better than he was in, say, The First Men in Black or Independence Day or maybe even, like, the first bad boys. I would say were probably the best Will Smiths for me. Then he got, you know, into more of the drama fair, which is fine because he does have the chops, I, I guess. I, I never really got into, like, Pursuit of Happiness or, or those ones. But he was th- so quickly thrust into, you know, stardom post-Fresh Prince of Bel-Air or, or you know, even during um and i I do believe a lot of it's by his own accord you know naturally but it it just the market was so saturated with him for so long and i think by the time we got to this point with hancock and and seven pounds and things like that it just became more of the same sort of performances uh there wasn't a lot it, it ended up being not a lot of variations at all i mean to the point to where when anybody even impersonates will smith you know there's a couple catchphrases that he uses in every movie for the most part you know the the woos or the you know welcome to earth or time to save the today world or something like that well
0: he was a movie star i mean he's playing on his movie star persona that's what he did Shh.
1: no he did yeah but i just it got stale for me personally well yeah i mean and then it worked very well
0: in terms of like his career because that's why he was mr fourth of july for so long like from independence day to this point that's like a solid decade or so point he rarely made a movie that flopped that hard Like, I think Seven Pounds, like, was the first movie that, like, massively flopped. Even, like, Wild Wild West, despite it being, like, the big embarrassing point of his career at that time, like, was still extremely successful, despite that. And I think, if anything, this feels like it's also kind of at, like like I mentioned, like, oh, the superhero craze was starting to really build up. This is the same summer as both Iron Man and The Dark Knight. And I think that gap really was crucial to, like, Smith, because in that gap from, like, 2008 to 2012 the superhero massive thing started really building in even more earnest to the point where by the time he does Men in Black 3 that summer, like, it completely flops compared to, like, The Avengers and even The Dark Knight Rises that particular summer.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Men in, I think, you know, Men in Black 3 was kind of destined to flop, to be honest with Well,
0: that's the thing. <laughs> A worse movie like Men in Black 2 made, like, so much fucking money. Like, that was the thing where even I agree with you that I don't think quality wise he was that consistent during that entire period but there was a point where like he was like doomed to never fail like it it was a constant just thing like he would not fail no matter how shitty the movie was i
1: i robot anybody
0: or even like a small drama like pursuit to happiness made hundreds of millions of dollars because (laughs) that's successful that dude was yeah like even like right before this was i am legend which i think is his second most successful movie
1: and it's terrible it's
0: terrible there's elements of the movie that i think are really great when the dog dies that movie starts really falling apart (laughs) really crucially. But anyway, anyway, I think there's, um, I think that's the most interesting sort of legacy of a Hancock is that it feels like it's kind of the last vestige of that but as an original superhero movie as sort of like an interesting take on the superhero genre it does really flop apart with like, we can't emphasize enough that like, once the Charlize Theron thing kicks off in earnest it does feel like it's a completely different movie. Like it's this big massive like action superhero drama movie.
1: <laughs> Even to the point where she completely changes, like, her makeup, her even almost her her tone of speech, everything, which I get, like, maybe she was putting on, you know, sort of a facade. I will say I guess, the unrated
0: cut, I think, does a better job of conveying sort of, like, what she's hiding. There's a lot more shots up and close of Charlize kind of, like, realizing, like, oh, shit, he's going to reveal all this. This is going to completely fucking fall apart. Um, I wish that was in more of the movie. And more important, that even yeah. when we got that reveal, there was some, at least, like, some consistency with the tone. Really, the most consistent thing that carries over is that, um, you mentioned the whole thing with the asshole uh, remark. That, like, basically, it's a rip-off, of like, Martin McFly's problem in the sequels to Back to the Future. Yeah. <laughs> People call him chicken. It's totally just that. Like, he has that with that, and she has that with being called crazy. And, like, that's their hugest character flaw <laughs> after a certain point. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and you know that's, And two more things I really kind of want to spotlight one is the stuff with the kid from Rob Zombie's Halloween like, okay, I don't know that Hancock should be throwing kids up into the space, you know, basically, but whatever. I mean, I, I don't
0: mind that if they stick with him being like that big of an asshole and actually have an interesting arc by the time the movie finishes off right?
1: Yeah, that that's right, exactly well, that's most of this movie, isn't it? Like, there's, you know Cool things with no payoff. But, and also, when did Jason Bateman's character kind of notice that Charlie Theron hasn't aged? The,
0: the the bigger trouble really is just that, like, they they have a lot of sort of this background, interesting stuff. Like, that scene that's at the, the one restaurant where Hancock reveals his whole backstory about, like, I woke up, you know, 80 years ago and I didn't have any memory and I'd never aged. Like, having that and also the comparison with, like, Jason Bateman talking about, like, oh, I was a single dad after my wife died and she just came right out of the blue like it, it's a problem of, like he doesn't really question any of that stuff because jason Bateman, especially after that scene is such a fucking cipher for the movie like he only comes back to like basically hit eddie marzana at a certain point so will smith can leave like that's all his function is for the last like half hour of the fucking movie
1: yeah or to you know see them on the street and realize that that's charlie Darren and will smith fighting not you know when they're showing them on full television, he doesn't notice.
0: And carry around their child, of course, who has to witness all of this stuff.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it sucks.
0: <laughs> is there anything you enjoyed though about Hancock in there, Adam? Anything else that we haven't mentioned?
1: That you kind of... No, I mean, like there's there's the few moments that we sort of mentioned that that are fun, like the bank robbery scene. the The opening scene has some fun bits. The the CGI is terrible.
0: I kind of like, there's one thing we didn't mention, like, there's a whole sequence where um, Jason Bateman is showing Hancock, like, okay, here's all the stuff that you did that would cause people to be, like, upset with you, and there's one where, like, there's a beached whale that he just throws into the middle of the ocean, She's like that, yeah. which is like, that's fun, or like, when he's, like, he apparently, like, saved a bunch of people out of a burning building and he goes over to an ice cream truck and just steals ice cream while he's burning up. Basically, like, there's fun bits like that, Just it's just glimpses, unfortunately.
1: Right, I think that's the problem. I mean, again, with the whole movie in general, it's there's all these cool little bits that, you know, oh, this could be awesome. I wish they lean into this more. and But unfortunately, it, it's just this movie is nothing but wasted potential.
0: I guess those are pretty solid final thoughts, Adam, because I don't know if you have much else to add.
1: Be- best movie ever made, man. <laughs> of course. Ten out of ten. Uh,
0: but, but yeah, I mean, I generally agree. I think the trouble is. We mentioned the whole Will Smith thing earlier. We've talked about Will Smith previously. We're like, when I was a kid, Will Smith was like the movie star. He was the guy who was just like, this is like the most charismatic, charming person. And I think this movie's biggest cultural legacy is just the fact that it feels like it's the book end of that particular era of Will Smith. Like, I can't do any wrong. And then that break happened. And then a lot of wrong things kept happening for the next 10 years. Some things really was still successful, but a lot of wrong things after that. And I think that's sort of the, the tragedy is that, like, this could have been, at the very least, like, either the most interesting, weird blockbuster from this era of Will Smith, or it could have been, like, a fascinating start to a completely different franchise that could have kept his success kind of going after a certain point. This could have been, like, his Mission Impossible thing to kind of like parallel him to another one of the few stars that gets movies made right now, Tom Cruise. But unfortunately this just ends up kind of like flopping around with so many fascinating ideas that are just dismantled by having too many creative voices in the kitchen that just ultimately degraded into a fascinating, what could have been story as opposed to, you know, a great movie. If anything, you know what, this movie is at least got some cultural cachet. This is a great example of a movie. I would love to see remade because there's a good idea. And I would just like somebody to actually harness that potential and make a good movie out of it. This is a rare movie where, like, no, remake this. There's a good idea here. You can actually make something good out of it if you have a single creative voice to kind of funnel into something interesting. If we're gonna remake things, if we're going to remake remake things. No, to no, 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 I agree.
1: It. I agree. Remake things that had potential, but I wouldn't want to see this remade as you know another feature stuff. So do a do a cool TV series or something with this. But yeah, I guess so. I, I wouldn't mind seeing something like this catch a remake. There's a really cool idea here. It's just you know now with the Peacemakers and the Guardians of the Galaxies and all that, and the Suicide Squads of the world, we've kind of gotten this sort of story again and again and again.
0: Um, I would argue you could get something more subversive than even those movies.
1: Well, I'm saying we've we've gotten the disenfranchised sort of heroes already now several times over.
0: I think there's something you could do with this. I think if anything, oh, that, that makes... fucking,
1: why don't you finance it then? Well, it just so happens I have forty million dollars. I think you're gonna, and I'm gonna dump it all into a Hancock. Oh boy, my my money's on Hancock, baby Hancock, twenty twenty-five. Hell yeah, starring Herbie Hancock. I know it's a terrible idea; he's really old. But
0: look, this is my creative vision. I think Herbie Hancock is the perfect person. It's not just because of
1: the names. I caught him in Godspell off Broadway. He was phenomenal.
0: We have a very different movie to talk about now, Adam. Um, one might argue a better movie than Hancock. I don't know. Hot take. Uh, we're going to be talking about the original 1987 film, RoboCop. We've got to volunteer. The body is on the way. All Detroit has a cancer.
1: <laughs> cancer is crime.
0: As you know, we've entered into a contract with the city to run local law enforcement. We get the best of both worlds. Onboard computer assisted memory and a lifetime of on-the-street law enforcement
1: programming.
0: Murphy, it's you.
1: Go get him, boy. Thank you. <laughs> you have the right to remain silent. <laughs> you have the right to an attorney. Anything you say may be used against you. You better back up, pal! Your move, creep. <laughs> The future of law enforcement. Robocop. Thank you for your
0: cooperation. So, Robocop came out July 17, 1987, from director Paul Verhoeven, from an original script by Ed Neumeyer and Michael Miner. And uh, this was a movie that, you know, came out in 1987, was a big surprise success, did very well, it um, sort of created a new pop culture figure in the zeitgeist and uh, adam i think it's no secret if anybody's been longtime followers of ours they Aww. know that um we're
1: both pretty big fans of this movie uh, would you uh
0: concur with that sentiment are you a big fan of robocop adam
1: hey robocop's the best movie to come out of the 80s so yes i definitely am i think robocop is absolute sci-fi action sleaze perfection so you hate it got it yeah, no, it's terrible. It's not Hancock good. Right, it is not Hancock <laughs> it's good.
0: That is a true statement on its own. Right. That is a true statement. <laughs> um, but but yeah, RoboCop is just one of the most perfectly constructed movies I think because it does such a great job of like being all that stuff you mentioned, like you know action, sci-fi, kind of sleaziness, but at the same time, it's so beautifully subversive of that idea that like it could work for the dumbest and smartest person in the audience. Uh-huh. On various different levels. That's the the pure beauty of it. Is you can enjoy the crass, violent, awful machinations of what Paul Verhoeven's created here. But you can also really appreciate, if you think even slightly about it, about the inherent... Nuances to what it's saying about this particular era in, uh, like Reagan's America, and about the police force and about corporatization.
1: The beauty of RoboCop is you can watch it for so many different reasons and appreciate it on so many different levels, whether or not it's sort of the the sharpness of the satirism that's happening, or the just insane over the top violence, or the character actor performances. Or if you, like I said, into the sleazy sort of stuff with nudity and all that, that's all in there too. There's something for everyone in RoboCop for the most part. Like, I'm not saying, like, my fucking 70-year-old mother is not going to love RoboCop. But, I, don't, I mean, I don't know. She might. Who the hell knows? How does he go pee in that thing?
0: Also, a question if you showed your five-year-old daughter that's just like, how does
1: he go pee in that thing? So he gets no, for I, everyone. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it translates. It, it's just, there's so much here. It, it, there's so much to, like, look at and appreciate and dissect, but also if you don't want to watch it with that such a critical eye, like you said, you can just shut your brain off and watch it and have fun. The movie works so well in that way to where you could write an essay on it if you really wanted to, or you could sit around and have a couple beers and just have a good time with it. It's it's just so, so smart.
0: And when did you see RoboCop for the first time, Adam? I, if I recall correctly, you have sort of like the history of this is a movie you watched at far too young an age?
1: Oh, yeah. So I was about five years old, maybe six years old when I saw it. I saw this at the theater with my dad and my uh, my brother. It's And we shouldn't have, but my dad wanted to see it. And I know I was. it was after its initial run because it was at like the Dollar Theater. So uh, yeah, I was probably about five years old, man. Um, I remember thinking it was awesome. I remember being terrified by it too. Uh, particularly the toxic waste scene. And um, at 209, scared the shit out of me as a kid. But uh, I just remember being so utterly fascinated by it and thinking it was so cool because my dad sold it to sold it to me kind of the way we're selling it right now, where it's a super, it's a superhero movie. It's a total super. He's just a superhero. Like that's what it is. That's what it is. So it sort of took the sting out of it maybe a little bit for me because I was such a comic kid. My dad was such a comic guy. So we grew up around that stuff. So it was kind of like you know okay, it's just a, a really violent adult superhero movie, and and that's kind of. Like I said, I think what took the sting out of it and maybe didn't mentally scar me, or maybe it did. Hell, I don't know.
0: No, you turned out fine. You're great. Yeah, You're I think good. I'm. I think I'm
1: good. I'm like, the government. Um, no, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> no, I. No, I. Yeah, so I saw it way too young, but I. So I kind of grew up with RoboCop, really. And then I had the, you know, RoboCop versus Terminator comics. I watched the Prime Directives TV show. I had all the toys. I saw two and three in the theater uh it's just i was in love with this character in this universe and I, I still really truly am uh robocop is one of those movies to where either a if i can't figure out something to watch i'll pop it on or b if i um, it's on somewhere else i will sit down and watch the whole thing from whatever point it's playing um i i just i absolutely love it
0: it's interesting because i haven't been over an inverse thing and in that robocop was a movie i was aware of throughout most of my like life up to a certain point, but I did not see it until actually freshman year of college. It was just a movie that escaped me for so long. And then I finally watched it at that point. I remember distinctly watching it and the opening bits with the newscaster stuff are happening. And I was like, Oh, well, I mean, this is kind of interesting. I don't know. It feels just kind of like regular news. And I was like, Oh, Oh, that's what this is. (laughs) That like the, the fact that I had seen it at such a long point after like where the stuff that was so satirical, And over the top in 1987, like 25 years later when I finally watched this movie, I was like, oh, wait, this is actually incredibly smart and decisive for its era in a way that's still very cutting. And from there, the movie's just so enjoyable. Like what I love about RoboCop so much is despite it having so many huge lofty themes and also all these different characters it's juggling and big sci-fi ideas, it is still like such a lean movie. Like I keep forgetting every time I put on RoboCop that it's only like 103 minutes long. It is such a perfectly compact movie to put all this stuff, and especially, like, center it so wonderfully around, like, our titular character we haven't mentioned is played by Peter Weller. Such a weird choice for this time, where, like, they were trying to get several different people, like Arnold Schwarzenegger or Rutger Hauer, people who would be more likely to play this role. But the problem was always just, oh, it's somebody who would be too buff in the suit. Paul Verhoeven said, like, if we put Arnold in a suit like this, he would look like the Michelin Man. Which is accurate. You have to get, like, a skinny guy to make that big suit really work as well as it does. And Weller just gives it so much tragedy and beauty into a performance that could have just been done. It's just like, you know, an Arnold performance, just like, oh, Dead or Alive, you're coming with me, all that shit. Like, it could have been just a silly movie. But he gives it so much more earnestness, like, particularly the whole sequence where he goes back as Robocop to his house... And he has all these visions back of his family. It's such a beautiful tragic scene about just the idea of like, oh, you were once a man, and that time is completely gone. Your life is gone. Your family has completely moved on from you. You are a dead man who is still sentient. You're a Frankenstein monster, basically. This is a great Frankenstein monster movie, which I love Frankenstein style stories of like basically taking a person who was completely dead, bringing them back to life, and having them just be an abhorrent weird creature in the middle of this world where like it's a superhero movie inherently but also it's a movie about how like oh when a superhero is created by these means it isn't heroic it's a tragedy it's a horrible horrible tragedy and that makes all the stuff as the movie goes along where he drops the robocop thing and becomes murphy by the end like weirdly beautifully moving in the middle of this movie where a fucking toxic waste monster shows up
1: yeah i completely agree i mean Weller is he's fucking phenomenal in this movie it's some of the best suit acting mask acting period in film history I mean even the scene you were pointing out where he's in his house and he's sort of seen the remnants of things that were maybe left behind when his family moved from the house and things like that and then he's getting the flashes he's conveying so much emotion and sadness and confusion with his jaw
0: his beautiful beautiful jaw that got him the job
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. But that's all you're seeing it through. And it totally works. You can't see his eyes. You can't see anything. But yet you're like, oh, fuck. Like, you totally get it that, like, he's fucked in the head right now. Like, he cannot process really what's going on or what's happened to him or who he used to be. But it's still somehow he knows. Like, it, it's just, it's a wonderful, wonderful performance. And then, like you said, yeah, that you know, the dead are alive. You're coming with me. It, it is... A silly sort of, you know, 80s movie line, but he has such gravitas to it that it works perfectly. Because I do think if someone like an Arnold said that line, it would be, you know, stick around from Commando. It would be, you know, just these stupid one-liners. But in this, it works perfectly.
0: Yeah, and Arnold wouldn't be able to convey so much beauty in a bit like him talking to the Nancy Allen character and just saying, like, I can feel my family, but I can't remember them. Awful. Like, one of the most heartbreaking fucking lines in any movie. And it's once again in the middle of this movie where he's in a fucking robot suit. And his face is, like, plastered on machine. But you're still, like, so emotionally invested this whole time. Because you saw who Murphy was prior to this. We, that opening sequence where he's just, like, average cop, apparently trying to do his best. And ultimately becomes a Jesus figure in terms of uh, he is horribly murdered. In one of the most graphic, awful death scenes I've ever seen in a fucking movie still to this day, and becomes Jesus. Like, that's, Paul Verhoeven said it many times, he wanted to make this because it felt like a Jesus story, and he ultimately called it, like, the American Jesus. And he's not inaccurate in terms of just, like, this guy who was part of, like, the police force, a system that they established is kind of corrupt even from the start, and has only become more so with OCP taking over. And they just have him realize it's just like, oh, you know, when you become swallowed up by the system and you become a cool robot cyborg guy, like, there's fun to that. Like, you can't have that fun without the horrible bloodshed that takes place. Like, all the excessive violence that happens because of, like, Robocop being a thing is all because just like, yeah, you can have this cool-looking, like, robot dude, but guess what? Uh, Lives get lost. Horrible, awful things happen. Even the people he saves are traumatized after he saves them. Like, there is an inherent, like awful horror to robocop being a thing that exists at all
1: yeah i mean to the point where even with the jesus allegory it's very much a choice to have you know him walking on water at the end yes and yeah these guys who create him like the bob mortons and you know the dick jones who are involved in all this stuff are just they're awful horrible pieces of shit i mean you know bob morton is, is a s- fucking sleazeball, but he's one of the best. It's one of the best sleazeball performances, like, maybe ever.
0: The late, great Miguel Farrell.
1: Oh, God, he's Wonderful. so, yes. so good at it. The movie is populated by horrible characters. I, I would say Lewis and Murphy are the only two characters in the entire movie that are redeemable. Uh, everyone else is awful, even, you know, the from the CEO, which, of course, but, you know, the old man to Jones to... Uh, you know, everybody who works at OCP, from the scientists to the suits, well, I guess the police chief, too. He's pretty cool, But yeah, um,
0: but but even then, he's a dude who completely fall asleep gets rid of that guy's locker's name. And he's like, I don't want to hear anything about striking. Cops don't strike. That's not what you guys do. And even those background guys who are just like, oh, we're kind of fascinated by Robocop, they're the people who fucking gun him down later.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, I, I feel like... I absolutely have to talk about it, and I've talked about it before. Um, as, as I'm sure anybody who's been listening us for a while has gleaned, I'm a big fan of villains in movies. Um, I think in order to care about the hero or, you know, sort of any of the struggles or horrible shit that's happening, then it has to be perpetrated by an equally interesting, if not more, villain. And this movie has them in spades. I mean, Dick Jones, Bob Morton, but more importantly, like Clarence Boddicker. I mean, what a fucking villain performance from him.
0: Kurtwood Smith, of course. Red, red. Yeah,
1: right, right, right. Red Foreman. Um, he's fucking just wonderful in this movie. He he's so honest, like Kurtwood Smith is not a guy I would ever look at and be like, oh, that guy's fucking scary and tough. But in this, he's scary and tough with these big old aviator glasses and just you know balding and everything. But you believe every minute that he's the most dangerous guy in whatever room he's in uh it it just he's got some of the most classic lines ever like you did the one you know a parody of the you know the classic in the beginning The, you know tigers are playing tonight he's got the you know you can keep the gum uh which is a great great one
0: guns guns guns
1: guns yep (laughs) You built the fucking thing, now I gotta deal with it!
0: I love even some of the non-verbal things he does, like, in that scene with, like, the guns, 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 and all that, where he dips his fingers into that guy's wine and just, like, yeah. slurps them up.
1: It's when he bites the pin out of the grenade. Yes. For no reason. You know, just, yeah, shit like that, it just, it makes for such a, a rounded, great character. He
0: could have just been enough to be a villain of the movie. Mm-hmm. But the genius, and like you mentioned, having all these other people, like Dan O'Hurley, as the uh, the, the big... The old man, yes, or Ronnie Cox's Dick Jones, or even, like, Bob Morton. Even with Robocop's own personal journey to become Murphy again and get rid of Dick Jones, like, the beauty of the movie is that he doesn't also take down OCP with him entirely. The sad fact is just like, oh, you can get rid of a Dick Jones, but, like, the old man's still going to be there. There's going to be some other suit to take his place. Felton Perry's still around, who's also great as, like, the most banal evil guy with just, like, ooh, the baby food. And I, the baby know, I, know. I love, I love particularly his look when it turns out that, like, Dick Jones is revealed and he has, like, a, oh, no, I can't <laughs> believe it, you son of a bitch. Like, that's the thing is every single small sort of, like, character who is either outright villainous or just part of, like, a system that benefits them it has so many, like, great distinctive moments. Even the henchmen, for Clarence Bonnaker, you got fucking Ray Wise, who's so fun. You quoted his bit earlier. Or uh-uh. Paul McCrane, especially, is my favorite of those guys. With his weird fucking balding haircut. Yep. And his shit, but it's like, I like it. Or, we killed you. We killed you. All this other stuff. Like, they do such a great job of every single person who is a villain is, like, weirdly, like, distinctive. Even if they aren't the most well-rounded characters. They're memorable. Even that dude who fucking laughs all the time.
1: Not There's not. nothing to that guy's character, but so fun, no. just laughs uh. all the time. And she was sweet i took her out like you know that's yeah it's great it, it's just that's the thing about this movie that's why again that's why i love it so much is nobody's wasted in this movie like there's not one character on screen and there's a lot of them but even with the little that some of them are given to do the very little uh, it, it still works perfectly like you know yeah you talk about the guy who laughs or you talk about emil or all these but the, the one fucking guy who's in Clarence's group, the the Asian guy who's got the headband. You see him for like two scenes and yet he's fucking you totally believe he's part of that group that he would be there with the way he walks down the stairs with the Uzi, with the you know, when he's Clarence's meeting with Sal and all that stuff. Like it's just no character is wasted. All the way down
0: to the dude who appears on a TV screen briefly in the bad sitcom with the "I'll buy that for a dollar." Uh, that guy, yeah. you remember I love so perfectly, guy.
1: right? He no. is—he's not a
0: character, really. <laughs>
1: he's no, it's a... nothing. He's just some random guy from some shitty, t- like Benny Hill type TV show. Um, yeah, it's—it's—and even the the criminal in the beginning who was shooting first time RoboCop. RoboCop. He's got the gun. He shoot him. Fuck me. Fuck me. Fuck me. Like constant. It's just. It's great. This movie is great. There's no wasted dialogue. There's no wasted moment. You know, I, I wanted something that goes really fast and a shitty gas That's mileage. shitty gas
0: mileage, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: you know, how about <laughs> a, a 5,000 SUX? You know what I mean? It's just, it's fucking perfect, dude. But And Chad,
0: also, too, the field reporter, by the way, who's reporting on that, is played by an actor named Bill Farmer, yep. who I was shocked to realize that dude is the voice of Goofy. He's been the voice of Goofy since we were kids, basically, oh, from like oh, the 80s onward. That. I right. didn't know
1: that. I know. That's weird. But the board game commercial even that they're playing where it's like the nuclear holocaust basically that they're playing. I mean right, – Or the or the SUX
0: yeah, car the commercial S- with the dinosaur. With the dinosaur. Like,
1: yeah. It's fucking just so good and funny. But at the same time, like you said, and it's very true – you watch it now, and you're like, oh, this is crazy. We don't... Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> like, This is kind of uh, now. This movie can hit on so many expert levels. That's the one thing about this. This is an expertly crafted script, expertly directed and acted. This movie just hits it all in spades.
0: Like Even down to some of the small things we should mention, like Phil Tippett, who did the stop motion, one of the best out there to ever do it. Oh, it's great. 209, yes. and the, the dinosaur, and even Dick Jones at the very end with the weird long arms
1: which is so weird so weird
0: it is very weird or even like this movie was nominated for a couple of oscars like best sound and best editing like it didn't win those awards but it won one of those rare like special achievement oscars for just the sound effects editing And it's true like all the times that robocop is walking around And they have to have, like, the perfect sound effects for, like, the gears and the pump, air pressure and stuff like that for him to move around. Uh It was groundbreaking for that time. And it still, like, works beautifully. Like, that stuff is what sells the fact that fucking Peter Weller said that, like, he originally trained for, like, mime training and stuff like that to be in that suit and was going to make Robocop more, like, snake-like. But when they got the suit, they realized, like, that's impossible. This is a huge lumbering suit. I can barely fucking move in. (laughs) And the genius is, like, he's able to move around when he does because of clever camera angles where you don't see him, like, even get out of the car or shit like that.
1: you see just his feet, and then it'll cut to his torso.
0: Right, or you hear the sound effects, stuff. Like, that's Mm -hmm. what I was talking about earlier with, like, the sort of um, necessity being the mother invention thing where, like, you were trying to make RoboCop in 1987, so many, like, inherent, like, turmoil with, like, we have to create an iconic superhero and make it work, and we have so many limitations. Like, even, I love the fact that you don't see RoboCop in the suit fully until, like, the big reveal shot where everybody sees him, and stuff so, like that, you just get hints of him, and then you see him in his full glory, and it's amazing to watch because it had was it's so well built up with the clever camera angles and stuff like that. It's such a great way of building up a hero who can be sort of, like, heroic in a certain way, but ultimately at the same time have so much of the satiric intent we're talking about. It builds a legend and it completely demystifies the legend simultaneously.
1: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. It's great. And I mean, how often in this movie do you really see Robocop from head to toe? Not often. It's mostly like head to waist or like just his feet or just like, you know, his head. Like, they did such a good job of making this work and making it functional in a way because i remember even reading that like weller lost 10 pounds of water weight a day Mm -hmm. from sweating like it was just impossible this also has one of my favorite uh themes to a film ever
0: the late great basil pontadorius
1: oh it's so good and it sounds like a superhero theme like it's it fits right in with sort of you know elfman's batman or uh you know, Williams Superman theme. Like it fits perfect right in that mix. And I, I just absolutely love it. It gets still from, for some reason to this day. Uh, well, I guess not for some reason. I just said how much I love it, but I'll just find myself humming it.
0: And even the way that the rest of the score takes that theme and really like demystifies it, once again, like you have that big bombastic theme that plays and then how he deconstructs it with like the scene where he's going around his empty house and just like the haunting element of that score where it still is, like, beautiful and tragic, but at the same time, the, when the bombast kicks in as it goes along, it's perfect. Like, th- the ending of this movie is, I think, one of the best sort of, like, actual like, ending moments in anything, of just, like, nice shooting, son. What's your name? Murphy. The whole character arc is wrapped up beautifully with him just saying Murphy. And I love that, like, Paul Verhoeven said this, like, the best moment of his career was seeing that in a theater with, like, one of the initial audiences, and after Dan O'Hurley asked that question, before fucking Peter Weller can say the line, the entire audience said Murphy. And that's just, like, it's it's such a rousing fucking awesome bit. That's and the pretty thing is, cool. And it's, it's also just a thing where, like, you would never be able to do an ending like that now, where it's just, like, immediately cut, that's it, because you don't need anymore. There was going to be more dialogue and stuff. There was going to be, like, an epilogue of sorts. And they realized, like, no, we can't. There's no way we can top this. And you don't right. need it. Yeah, it's yeah, perfect. Absolutely, <laughs> it's perfect way to end this movie. <laughs>
1: Dick, I am very disappointed. <laughs> or even just the brilliance of just, Dick. You're fired. <laughs> thank you. <laughs>
0: it's the, it's thank you. Fucking great. <laughs> I, I'm curious, then, Adam. So, what do you think makes this is like one of the top ish examples of like a cinematic superhero movie? What do you think makes this stand out so much from like any of the other attempts? Why do you think this is sort of like the pinnacle? of that kind of like original creation of a superhero.
1: Well, I think for you know, kind of everything we've touched on, just the brilliance of it all from top to bottom. It gives you a truly like sort of harrowing origin story right in the in the beginning of the movie. And you get the creation of the superhero where, you know, it's not him in a cave building his own suit, but he's literally being turned into a superhero and you, you stick with it. You watch it by the time you get to him in the police station doing target practice. And the, his fellow officers are getting their first look, we're getting our first look at him. You're right there the whole time. You you feel like you're one of the scientists putting them together or one of the police officers when they first get a glimpse of him. And, and it's just, there's so much weight to everything in the movie, be it like literally with the way he moves and the way he walks and the way, you know, he's, origin story or the pathos that he's going through. Or, or, or even th- just
0: the fact that Verhoeven puts you literally in his perspective so much, particularly after the accident.
1: Quite, quite often.
0: Like, the whole mont I love that whole sequence where it's just them building RoboCop. Me too. And you see it from Murphy's head, basically.
1: These, these idiot scientists.
0: Right. <laughs> one of them kisses him and, like, Felton he's yeah. just like, oh, well, well, technically he's dead. We can do anything we want with this fight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 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 <laughs>
1: that guy drives me fucking crazy.
0: Right, or, but or that that works for, as a circle intent, but then later on with someone we, we've mentioned, but we haven't devoted enough time to, Nancy Allen. Like, does the yeah. Murphy, it's you. It's such a perfect moment to, like, really, you are in his situation. I'm just realizing, like, no, you aren't, like, this robotic being, you were a man. Right. And that's like, really is what kicks off his whole journey after that point to, like, find out his past
1: it's such a great moment you know yeah murphy it's you and his he just his lower lip drops a little bit continues on walking and then you get the fucking the ocp suits chasing after him and cussing her out and like you what did you say to him What is it because they're just trying to hide and protect their investment basically and it's just it opens up so much more to like you said the sort of satirical nature of corporate greed and sort of ultimately when does somebody become a product of a company it's just it's just so expertly done god damn i love this movie
0: weirdly this and hancock were very appropriate as a double feature because you kind of see like they're both kind of dealing with a similar idea of like oh let's like give a pr like spruce up to a superhero we saw one bad example of that and then this is like the perfect example Where once again, like, the biggest worry, honestly, I had going into it, like, any time now in, like, a modern world where we have, like, a lot of issues with police brutality and shit, always my fear is, like, is this going to be the time where, like, some of that stuff, like, makes this a lesser movie? And it doesn't because it's inherently critical of a police organization, especially one that has far more corporate interests intact. Uh-huh. Where it's not about, like, an actual individual who wants to do good. It's that person being completely destroyed by a system that doesn't give a shit about actually protecting people. As much as, like, how can we make this lo- make us look good so we get more taxpayer dollars, basically?
1: Yeah, 100%. Um,
0: And, you know, this also kind of sparked a franchise of sorts, uh, with you mentioned a couple of sequels and comic books and stuff, but Uh, most would probably say that those don't really hold up to the original. I would agree. Well, and do you, why do you think it necessarily doesn't do that? Like what do you think is missing from any of these follow-ups that is so pure in this original movie.
1: Well, the third one, I I mean, do we even really need to discuss? I mean, A, it's not. Maybe at some future point, there's a tragedy really to that movie. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the third one, I mean, you can barely even count as being part of this. The second one, you know, I I do think the second one has some good ideas.
0: There there are bits and pieces, particularly when they're trying to make RoboCop two. Those are I the That's like, the
1: best part of the movie. That's the best.
0: <laughs> that guy taking off the helmet, he's got a skeleton. Yeah,
1: yeah rips his own head off, and you know the one blows its own brains out. <laughs> like it's and, like and more
0: a, and more Dan O'Hurley he just reacting a lot like,
1: more oh. Dan O'Hurley. Yep. yep. <laughs> but you're missing. A lot of major components that work in this one. You don't have a Dick Jones. You don't have a Bob Morton. You have a Clarence Boddicker with the Kane character with Tom Noonan. But then, you know, he's got the little kid in his gang. And he's got all this, stu- and it's a new drug out there. It loses a lot of the satire and goes more for just the action stuff.
0: Or even the, the biggest problem with that second movie is the fact that Peter Weller and Nancy Allen are in it. But they are, like, weirdly supporting characters in RoboCop 2. Yeah, it's such completely. a Yeah. It's a problem of, like, after the end of this movie, you need to have an actual evolution of Murphy's character where he's like, okay, he's still going to be Robocop, but what does being Robocop mean at this particular point? And in the sequel, it's just like he's going to put the helmet back on. He's going to have, like, a bluer suit.
1: Yep. That's it? The third, third one, he's going to have a jetpack.
0: And not be Peter Weller anymore. <laughs> and not
1: be Peter Weller, be the guy from Thinner.
0: Yes, that's true. That's, that's who it is. And you can even, like, they got somebody who could vaguely approximate that jaw, but, like, we can't emphasize enough how, like, that jaw is so crucial to the point where, like, it almost fits in, a, to tie it into the superhero thing more specifically, it's like Batman. Yeah. Like, that's 90%, well, not 90 like, like 85% of the thing is, like, who looks good with, like, most of their face covered except their jaw. Like, that's right. why, you know, the equivalent to, like, Robert Pattinson now. That's much of why it works. It's just him with that cowl. It works perfectly in the same way that a Peter weller does with this mask on.
1: Mm-hmm. I completely agree. Yeah, the show, by the way, Prime Directives. Oof. Oof.
0: Oh, I'm, I'm is shocked. This does, it, does it not have the integrity of this original film or the kids' cartoon
1: from <laughs> <laughs> the <serial> <laughs> 80s? <laughs> yeah, I don't want the time. <laughs> Fucking... Late eighties, early nineties were fucking crazy. <laughs> you know, like looks like the kids' RoboCop cartoon. It and, and put toys out there. Hey, aliens toys. You know? like, look,
0: look. I mean, it, it's not child-friendly stuff like you know, Toxic Avenger or Rambo that were. Yeah, I know. I was just Avenger. gonna say
1: Rambo and the Defenders or whatever the fuck it was. We had his group with him. What the fuck? Why are I mean? What are we doing? <laughs> like fucking people are. People were crazy back then.
0: Right, as, as opposed to now, we don't need to do that, because we can have adults buy, like, $500 hot toys, or, like, whatever, like, the right. uh, exactly. like big exclusive, like, Mezco things or some bullshit.
1: Right, exactly. There's like, oh,
0: designer toys. I can have yeah. that now. Yeah. <laughs> While children play with their fucking iPads
1: now. <laughs> I'm looking at some of those toys right now, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, I mean, no judgment here. I'm just looking over my Funko Pop collection.
1: Well, <laughs> I have my Hellraiser figures. <laughs> I, I it's true, it. I've seen them. And I just got a new one. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> how many
0: points of articulation are uh, in that particular
1: one? Well, it's made by NECA, so several. <laughs> <laughs>
0: of course, quality, of course. All right. Adam, let's wrap up. Final thoughts. Any last things to mention about Robocop?
1: Uh, I just think, like I said, you know, at the start of the conversation, I I think it's the best sort of movie to come out of the 80s. It has everything, at least for someone like me and what I appreciate from 80s movies. I love 80s sci-fi. I love 80s action movies. I love sleazy '80 movies, you know, and and this has all of that, but it's also incredibly intelligent, too. So it just works on every level for me. That's why it's my all time favorite movie of the 80s and in my top probably if not top five, easily in my top ten favorite movies, period. Um, I, I just think it's a five out of five perfect film. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it.
0: Yeah, I think it's pretty much perfect as well for all the reasons we said before, but even... So many other ones like the toxic waste death is such a beautiful example of like weird, bizarro 80s shit that could have been cut out of this movie. It works perfectly in there. Um, the club scene where you have Paul Verhoeven randomly like scream in front of your face. It's actually Paul Verhoeven in that one cut. After yeah, jumping around and shit. Yeah, yeah. after Ray Wise like literally gets a like bonk sound effect <laughs> after he tries to kick him in the crotch. Or even the the fact that we, with the Nancy Allen character, that it's not a romance Like, something that no other 80s movie would have done around this time. They would have been smooching by the end of that movie. And no, they are just platonic partners who actually want to get shit done, which is so much more interesting and makes the biggest problem I have with RoboCop 3 so crucial, that they fucking do some romance bullshit. I fucking hate that so much. Oh,
1: they do. They do. That's
0: that's the greatest sin for the American Jesus of RoboCop 3. (laughs) It's the mortal sin um as opposed to yeah th- but this movie like it does all that stuff so perfectly it's so beautifully done it, it's like you mentioned it has like so many of like the fun brainless stuff that we enjoy about these movies but also so much more of the inherent beautiful satire that makes it still relevant to this particular day it's yeah it's one of the perfect movies it is definitely a f- one of my rare like five out of five so I don't hand this out very often but what like this is one I no contest would definitely put up there and yeah I would say it's also probably in like a top 10 if not at least 20 Movies of all time for me, for sure. When I would uh, never get tired of watching, and when uh, I'm glad we discussed here on
1: the show. Yeah, don't watch the sequels. Watch Robocop two. I think. RoboCop okay, yeah, fun. Robocop two, fine. Do not watch Robocop three.
0: Or or the remake, which we haven't mentioned
1: either. Oh fuck! Bad. I could. To be honest, I completely forgot about it. So that's probably for the best.
0: But now I think it's best that we move on to our regular segment <laughs> nice. the double redo <laughs> yeah
1: nice <laughs> nice oh badass segue bro
0: <laughs> the RoboCop of segues five out of five
1: yeah
0: <laughs> double, double redo
1: double redo double redo double redo double redo double double double, double, double redo redo works. So The Double
0: redo is a segment where uh, Adam and I uh, bring up a good and a bad movie related to the topic that we're discussing. So basically we recommend a good one and we uh, steer you away from a bad one, related in this case to superheroes originated from the cinema. So I'll start here with uh, my choices. And uh, for my good, I have a movie that I was pretty like under the radar. Not one that a lot of people have heard of, but I think is quite incredible. I have Fast Color which was an independent movie that came out in 2018 that uh, stars uh, Gugu Mbatha-Raw, who I think is a great actress working right now, deserves better parts than she's getting as of recent, quite frankly. Um, And she basically plays this woman who has uh, been kind of adrift for several years and uh, at the start of the movie has come back to uh, meet back up with her mother, who has been raising her child. Her daughter and mother have been living off on their own, and uh, the big thing about this world is that certain people do have powers, but the implications of their powers are kept under wraps because they are all constantly in fear of being captured by the government. It feels kind of like a lower budget X Men movie, so don't go in expecting like a big superhero, um, over the top action set piece kind of thing. It's a really earnest character drama that has moments of like great superhero bits, but it feels just more of like a sci fi drama about kind of dealing with that, and how it fucks people up to certain degrees, and some people, be- you know, especially with, like, this, you know, trifecta of, like, these three, especially women of color, kind of dealing with the fact that, like, they're being hunted throughout so much of this, and the powers, I think, are really well implemented. I love, like I said, Guggenblath throughout was so great, but the actress who plays her mother is also incredible. It doesn't feel, like, too dour for the sake of being dour. It's a really earnest, investing character drama that um, I would recommend more people see. It's kind of gotten a bit lost in the shuffle. Um, it's very good, very underrated movie. And then uh, my bad pick was a more high-profile movie that came out uh, not too long before Hancock that I think also has an interesting idea at its core, but I think even bungles it more than Hancock does. I have My Super Ex-Girlfriend, which is sort of like a rom-com satire with a superhero twist, where basically Luke Wilson plays this guy who is kind of like... um, trying to, you know, find some kind of romantic connection with somebody and ends up finding one in Uma Thurman, who, as it turns out, is the secret identity of this female superhero that's been going around, um, saving the day. And it's basically kind of like the fallout of him having to, like, oh, I'm dating a superhero. What, what are the implications of that? There's so many interesting ideas in that concept. Um, and it just ends up being a really bad rom-com of that, of, like, 2006 era. That has like a lot of like the bad stereotypes, particularly. Rain Wilson plays the horn dog best friend, who is so unfunny. Uh, Anna Ferris is really wasted as like the other love interest who isn't super powered to Luke Wilson. Um, and it just has all these weird ideas, especially there's a point where Luke Wilson breaks up with Uma Thurman. And so, naturally, like, per the title, she's like a jealous. Like, crazy lady who's going around trying to wreck Luke Wilson's life and, like, throws sharks in his bed and all this other bullshit. It's such a, like, weird kind of sexist turn at this concept as well that just, like, was forgotten for a reason. It's one of Ivan Reitman's last movies, and uh, unfortunately it's not a good note for his career to, like, be near the end of. And it wastes a lot of talented people, but also has Luke Wilson at the center of it, who has never been uh, my favorite Wilson, necessarily. He's been good in supporting parts, but as a lead Character, um, I think he's uh, pretty dull and lifeless and boring, and I don't get why a superhero woman would be that interested in him because it's just like it's Diet Owen. Owen's way
1: better than this, and that's not saying a lot. I like Wilson Phillips more than Luke Wilson, of course. Look, like the great songs, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, bangers. So I've never seen Fast Color. uh I do remember seeing trailers for it and stuff like that, and, and I was fascinated by it. uh But I'd be hard pressed to think of another movie that sort of just came out and was gone faster maybe captive state but um yeah fast color it's like it's i i completely forgot about it because it just wasn't there i, I it, it disappeared but uh i definitely want to um check it out though even after you talk about it a little bit more like that one definitely uh is interesting to me and uh i don't have much to say about my super ex-girlfriend other than i completely agree with everything you said i think it's it's just lousy even uma thurman who i I don't think is like the greatest actress. Even she's completely wasted in this too. Yeah. Even when the movie came out, the idea that, you know, Oh, he breaks up with her. So she's instantly crazy. Now didn't sit with me right then. And it's even worse now, more dated. Uh, It's just, it's a really, really dumb movie and not for nothing. I don't know. I can honestly say other than the office and maybe super, Rain Wilson has not been funny like in anything. Uh, I, I, you know, whatever, I, I'll give the guy sort of props, I guess, for making Dwight such a lovable character and, and things like that. But he's just never works for me and pretty much anything else, except for maybe when he's impersonating a moose in House of a Thousand Corpses. It's pretty fun.
0: I mean, I, I don't know, I would argue the bigger problem is that he's a very good dramatic actor in certain things, like Super, I would argue is more of like a dramatic turn. Yeah, even yeah. In- Or the Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie Hesher, he's very good in as well. Um, I just think the trouble is he's just become attached to Dwight because that's the only thing that's really been super successful for him. So he has to just kind of chase that. I think that's the bigger tragedy of his career, honestly. Also, another person wasted my super ex-girlfriend Eddie Izzard, one of my favorites.
1: Well, yeah, uh,
0: nothing villain role.
1: I mean, when has Eddie Izzard not been wasted in mainstream cinema? I mean, she's great and all, but when has she ever been given like a great role ever? Except maybe as like. The disco dancer and mystery men but other than that like she's never been getting anything good
0: i mean especially in like bigger hollywood movies but yeah um, that's what i mean. yeah uh, yeah right as opposed to like smaller like british things or of course the stand-up specials sure 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 fuck it. cake or death
1: right yeah, yeah, this
0: yeah. <laughs> ever made but adam you have some uh, choices
1: i do for my good choice it's a movie i've talked about on uh front of the show Rafe telsh's podcast it's one of my favorite movies uh you know it's right up there sort of with robocop as far as like sci-fi action weird movie as far as like my loving of it uh i have um dark city um starring rufus sewell the you know late fucking great william hurt uh jennifer connelly Kiefer sutherland uh what's his richard harris i think that's his name isn't it the guy who played Riff Raff. uh
0: no that's richard o'brien
1: Okay. Yeah, whatever. Richard O'Brien, who's fucking terrifying in it. Uh, But yeah, it's just a really dark, weird, sci-fi, noir film where, you know, there's nothing is, is what it seems. There's things, you know, people pulling the strings behind and sort of Rufus Sewell's accidentally given sort of the powers of the people who control this world and it's what he decides to do with them and ultimately where he's going to take this world at the end of the story Um, it's just it's a really fucking cool movie unlike Hancock the visual effects still kind of hold up in this one I mean they're dated but they're so cool like it's obviously sets and I think that's the point Um, we know it's all you know constructed and fake but the the characters living in the environment don't so when things move around and shift and everything it's really cool looking like it really really solid um and briefly you know just i have probably one of the most unfortunate sequels um ever possibly i mean even more than robocop 2 and quite possibly more robocop 3 i have a sequel to what was a great cinematic superhero movie i have the sequel to m night Shyamalan's unbreakable i have glass such a misuse of pretty much everyone mcavoy's going for it uh, like he's having fun in it, but it's just too little. It, it And then just the whole creation of this anti-superhero thing that's going on in the real, in the, in the world of the, the movie. And ultimately what happens to our three main characters at the end feels so cheap and rushed. It, it's just, it's a really, really piss poor attempt to capitalize on something that was really successful. And then you know, sort of with the sequel split that was semi-successful, but maybe shined a you know a more positive light on a, such a dwindling career that he was having in Night Shyamalan. For him to follow that up with this is just oof, 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 oof. Thank God Old was decent because if not, the, to me this would have been it. Like I would have been completely done with Shyamalan. I, I think Glass is absolutely a bore fest of a movie.
0: Uh, yeah, I've seen both of yours. Um, I like Dark City. I actually hadn't seen it until uh, you did that episode of Ray Tells You So Have Not Seen This, where you talked about it. Um, and I dig uh, Dark City quite a bit. I know we got a lot of comparisons to, it came out right before The Matrix, and then a lot of people post The Matrix being very successful were just like, oh, what about Dark City? It kind of did some similar things. And even some of the sets that you mentioned show up in The Matrix, particularly during the opening, like the rooftops, are the same sets from uh Dark City, uh, that show up in the Matrix. And I, I find the movie definitely interesting. I think my biggest problem is that like I'm definitely not as huge on the lead who is that is Rufus Sewell, right? It's, like the main lead yeah of it. Right. I yeah. I'm not as huge on him. I think a lot of the other stuff around him is fascinating. Um but I still think like yeah, it's a very interesting creative, uh cool little sci-fi movie that I wouldn't even thought as like a superhero movie but until you mentioned it but yeah it's like that makes sense in the same way that the matrix would also be i think applicable um yeah i think so like that yeah um and then glass i do agree that i'm not huge on glass but i've at least grown to respect glass for being like a movie that i think is so super intentional in terms of a lot of the subversive things it's doing with like the the ending of that movie like it's very clearly like, it's a movie about kind of expectations and coming up to the ultimate point of realizing, like, oh, yeah, nothing we do could actually satisfy a, you know, unbreakable coming back and then, and then a split, like, the James McAvoy character actually fighting each other. It's very much, I think, M. Knight trying to comment on, like, the modern superhero film in a way that I don't think is wholly successful, but I find far too fascinating to dismiss, like, so abruptly. And nothing else, I think, like, of his failures, I find it far more fascinating than, say, like, A Lady in the Water. Or some of his other like lesser, just unwatchable movies. I find Glass interesting, if not good, necessarily.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe I. I don't know, though, dude. Honestly, I don't think Shyamalan was really thinking that had that much sort of you know maybe subtext to it when he made it. I really don't think so. I just think it goes to show that you know maybe his best days are over. I, I mean, in all honesty, like old is fun, but it's not great. You know, it's still got this stupid twist at the end. It's just, maybe it was a subversion of, I'm not going to give you this crazy big twist at the end, but then he kind of went ahead and did it anyways, with the Sarah Paulson character and all that stuff. So I, I don't know. I don't think he was really thinking and leaning into it that much.
0: The biggest thing with M. Night, you can say, is that I don't think he ever, like, underthinks a concept. If anything, the bigger problem is that he overthinks a concept. <laughs> I think that's the thing, is that I think a lot of that intent is there. I would just argue maybe the execution isn't as like successful as I think it wants it to be. Um, so I think all of that is inherent to glass. I think that's very much like all of the built up about particular like the big opening of the fucking tower is exactly that they are completely setting up the whole movie about like, oh, there's going to be a massive fight at this fucking tower. And it's like, nope, it's in a fucking parking lot. <laughs> that's what we're going to do. <laughs> we're going to have these people fucking fight in the parking lot with nothing. I think that's very inherent to the narrative. I think Glass is such a fascinating movie. I would love to discuss in full on
1: this show. It is, uh, there's
0: so much interesting.
1: I might, be a, I, I might be, I might be a, a veto on that one. hmm hmm. Hmm, that's hmm, that's hmm. my superpower
0: (laughs) and my superpower is to pick something else and then make you do glass after you veto that who knows who knows what might happen that's the fun with the videos we'll get to that in a second folks but let's go ahead and repeat our titles for people out there in case they missed them my good one was fast color and my bad one was my super ex-girlfriend
1: and my good was dark city and my bad was glass
0: Yes, and please submit your own Double redo titles to us uh, on our socials or our email, as we'll detail in a bit, and uh, stay tuned for us to reveal that and also uh, our picks for next week. First, we want to thank some people like Chris Oliver for the intro and outro used in our show. Listen to more of his music at Oliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Christian Thorlally for our artwork. I'll follow him at Night of Water. That's Night with a K underscore of underscore water for more of uh, his great stuff. And uh, thanks to our supporters on Patreon, patreon.com slash gedvpod, where for just $1 a month, you all get access to bonus podcasts that we do and also get to vote in polls to pick like topics and movies that we cover for the show. And uh, we should mention a few things. One, um, the audio commentary for Punisher Warzone is out there uh, as this is being released. So, you know, after you saw Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Badness, listen to us talk in person uh, from back when we did the 200-episode trip, um, talking about that particular weird Marvel movie that'll never happen again. Um, And also, we just want to mention a bit of housekeeping that um, On the Edge of Relevance is a show where we cover modern movies that are usually released in theaters or digitally. And uh, we've mentioned in the past about The Northman being one that we were going to do. We posted this on the Patreon, but just as a reminder here on the show, uh, that one is going to be delayed a bit until it can be uh, released digitally, and we can both watch it because we've had some trouble with both of us getting to the theater to see that movie. Um, So that'll be coming, just in a bit more time than we anticipated. It's me.
1: I didn't go to the theater. <laughs> well, I, did, I wanted to
0: I wanted to cover your ass a bit, but sure. Yeah, I don't give a shit. I
1: don't, a, I don't fucking I manage a fucking bar and I got a six-year-old. Sometimes I can't make it. Right.
0: <laughs> uh, and uh, we also just want to thank, like we should mention, uh, along with being the four-year anniversary of the show in general, it is the two-year anniversary of the Patreon. So we want to thank all of you edgelords out there who've been contributing you know, money to us. Yeah. So if it was just for like a month or for this whole time, we really appreciate every dollar. Helps us out. We really appreciate when you
1: buy that for a dollar. Hey, that's not that's not becoming a thing. That's not becoming a thing. But yeah, definitely thank all you guys. Uh, you know, I'm even going to say thank you, Christian Alvarez. I think yeah. I'm going to stop. I, I might stop telling you to fuck off because uh, I think think. I'm going to go back and tell Rafe Talsh to fuck himself. Hey, buddy. Uh, You're back in the swing of things. Hey.
0: uh, Reprising old bits. That's what universities were for.
1: Yep. Yes.
0: (laughs) Old tired bits that have become (laughs) so tired by this point. And for more tired bits, find us on Twitter and Facebook at DEDBpod. And also you can submit feedback to us and stuff like Double redo Choices over at double -double bill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And uh, for me, you can find me on places like Twitter and letterboxes at NotTheWho'sTommy. And I also do some writing on mariannithomas.wordpress.com and film-cred.com where I'll just shout this out one more time because it has come out now as of uh, the day that we're recording this episode. My article, A Sam Raimi and the Blockbusters of Madness over at Filmcred where, you know, given Doctor Strange just came out, I went through the sort of blockbuster trajectory of Sam Raimi's career. I'm proud of that piece, and I hope you will read it and share it around.
1: Yeah, or don't. Um, I, uh... (laughs) You can find me on Instagram at Atom or Adam, that's A-T-O-M underscore O-R underscore A-D-A-M, or you can find me on Letterboxd at Schwanson, that's S-C-H-W-A-N-D-T-S. Oh, and, and if you're feeling froggy, you can look me up on Facebook. If I, I'll add you if, if, if you tell me you're a listener of the show.
0: Yeah, we should mention you have uh, defunct your Twitter. You got out once uh, the out. musk of it all became a thing. I'm, I'm unfortunately still tied to that as of yeah, yet. Yeah, so, I'm
1: out. Uh,
0: yeah, I don't blame you. You rarely used it, even. Like, the various times you've had a Twitter, it's been very sparse.
1: Yeah, it's literally just been to share show stuff, basically. Pretty much. Yep, uh, yep, yep, But yep. for
0: for more of our show, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on Talk Film Society, why not listen to all the other great shows on the network? And you can also uh, dig into our archives and our Podbean main feed for four years worth of content. So much that you can listen to. There's a lot. There's a lot. Uh, if you can't, you know, support us on the Patreon, the completely free way to help us out is to rate, review, or simply share the show around, because that gives us more visibility.
1: Yeah, so, I don't know, just fucking do it!
0: Yes, and you know, before we do the picking item, I might just want to say sincerely, uh-huh. you know, uh, we've been doing this for four years, through many trials and tribulations, but genuinely, I'm gonna say, uh, it's been an honor and a privilege and I'm going to just tuck you in and get you a warm glass of milk. There you go. Good night, sweet prince.
1: Sorry, what happened? <laughs> what, what What? What day is it? Am I still recording? Shit. Uh, no, yeah, dude, for sure. Uh, I mean, this is something I look forward to. You know, it, it's been, it's such a weird couple years. It's, you know, it's been for everybody and everything's so topsy-turvy and sort of all over the place. It was nice to have sort of a constant thing that was consistent and didn't change um so yeah and for that alone i thank you as well
0: knows the past tense Uh, adam are you leaving the show now what's happening
1: that being said everyone (laughs) (laughs) go fuck yourself everyone go fuck yourself and listen to my new podcast (laughs) talking tucci
0: (laughs) are you just talking about that new italy show he's gonna find italy adam will he
1: find italy i don't i hope so because if not Uh, he's pretty fucking stupid.
0: (laughs) It looks like a boot,
1: dumbass. My kid can find it on a globe, and she's dumb.
0: (laughs) Well, now, Adam, it is time we did our picking for next week's episode. We do this, of course, at the end of every episode, where uh, we each have either two good or two bad choices. We switch up on the quality for that. Each of us has assigned a number between 1 and 10 for uh, both of our choices, and the other person will pick a number between 1 and 10, which gives us our good and our bad feature ...for the following week, but... ...given this is an anniversary episode... ...we are implementing back in... ...something we started last anniversary... ...the Godfather Rule... We're basically now, in addition to doing that picking... ...Adam and I each have a single veto... ...in our back pocket, which we have to use... ...by the time of next year's anniversary... ...so next time in May... ...we have to have used this veto... ...or else it just disappears out of our pockets... ...so it's a use it or lose it kind of thing... Uh, ...where if... One of us hears the other's choice, whether good or bad, uh, that we pick with a number. And the other person's like, oh, hey, we're going to be doing this particular choice. The other person can say, actually, I'll take the cannoli. And thus, uh, that choice is gone. And we have to go with whatever other choice remains. This is only um, for, like, ones that we have chosen here. None of the Patreon polls are, are going to be eligible for something like that. So, for example, when we did this last time, um, Adam used his veto when we were going to be doing our picking for our 2021 wrap-up episode on the 2021 version of Cinderella, and we got Me, You, Madness instead, the other choice I had.
1: Hey on the hey opposite you. end
0: of things, uh, for the Bruce Willis episode, where Adam had his two good choices and he ended up uh, having 16 blocks is the one I got. I vetoed that one and we got 12 monkeys for that particular episode.
1: That's a better one.
0: Right. So, you know, it could go either way. Yeah. I'm curious, even before we do the picking here, now that you've had the Godfather rule once, how are you going to go into this next year knowing you have that in your back pocket? Have you changed your strategy how you're going to implement it?
1: Nope. If it's something I really don't want to fucking do, I'm just not going to... Godfather. Veto. Veto.
0: Okay, well do you still at least have that trepidation knowing that I could easily have that other choice be something even worse based on your last experience with it?
1: Yes and no, because I, yes, the the last choice was definitely probably a worse movie than when I got stuck with, but I'd argue there was probably way more to talk about. So I think it actually worked out in our favor.
0: Yeah, but I, I will at least say that there were definitely some times when you after you had that happen to you where you tried to do that on me and I could tell... You were just like, "Oh fuck," he didn't fall for it. With yeah, yeah, we're just like, "Oh well," I'm not gonna take the canole, and you're like, "Fuck, fine," I guess we'll go with this other choice. I thought you were gonna veto.
1: Oh, as far as coming after you and getting you to use your, yeah, uh, I'm coming after your fucking ass. Well, I mean, you could buy me dinner first, but
0: we have to do. I already have. yeah well, that's true. You have. What? It was it was a, it was a wonderful lunch. I believe that you bought me. But anyway. Um, ah,
1: lunch slash dinner. It, yeah, was that's la- really it, it,
0: it, it was, I don't know, what's what's the brunch equivalent of between yeah, dinner and was... lunch? What is that?
1: Uh, Linner. Drunch? Yeah, there you go.
0: <laughs> we'll go with that. But, Adam, we're going to be doing our picking uh, for this particular one coming up here, which is, um, we're repeating another topic we haven't done in a bit, but also it's interesting. This is us revisiting a topic uh, where you weren't on the first episode for. Uh, one of the few yeah. episodes you missed. Was yeah. uh, our first A24 episode, and uh, we're doing A24 again because uh, Alex Garland's Men is coming out, uh, and we're both very curious about that movie. And uh, you know, A24 is there's a lot of potential there, and uh, I'm excited to have you on for one of those now. Hopefully, knock on wood.
1: <laughs> yeah, right, Jesus. I'll be there, and, and at least in spirit. Uh, yeah, A24. I mean. It's become powerhouse of, you know, independent film. And, you know, I'd argue it's one of the more consistent of the sort of independent movie houses that are out there. I mean, for, you know, there's some that might not be great, but I'd argue for everyone that might not be great, there's five that are. Yes.
0: And uh, you have the two good this time for that. Uh So you have the embarrassment of riches of sorts. And I have the two bad choices. We've assigned them numbers between one and ten. And we're going to end up picking uh, a number between one and ten for each other's choices, unless that gets us our good and our bad feature. So, Adam, for your two good choices and your embarrassment of riches, uh, I'm going to go with number three.
1: All right. At number two, I have a movie that came out in 2019. I haven't seen it. This was a hard one for me uh, to choose between these because I was thinking, how bad do I want to cry? So I went with the 2019 comedy drama starring Aquafina, The Farewell.
0: Oh wow! Yeah, not taking the cannoli on that beautiful movie.
1: Great! I haven't movie. seen it. I haven't Wonderful seen it.
0: choice. All right. What was your other choice?
1: Uh, my other choice uh, at number ten on the dot is the 2016 sort of comedy starring Colin Farrell, The Lobster.
0: Okay, George uh, Clooney movie. Very interesting movie. I wouldn't mind talking about that either, but The Farewell I think is the better movie, and I can't wait to talk about it. Great.
1: All right. Oh boy. All yes, right, so, now so I... you're too bad. Yes. I'm going number nine. Okay.
0: At number 10, I have a movie that was so extremely, like, divisive when it came out. To the point where I remember seeing this with some friends, and they loathed it entirely. It is definitely, like, the, sort of the classic example to me of, like, an A24 movie that was advertised to be, like, a spooky horror movie, and ended up quite not being that... And I have mixed thoughts on it myself. I have It Comes at Night. <sighs> I kind of love that movie. Okay. I'm, 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 I mean, I've, I know that movie has its defenders. It'll be very curious. I don't hate it, but I'm, I'm, I'll be very curious to revisit it here. Uh, but at number two, I have what I would argue is a much worse movie, objectively. Um, I have Slice,
1: the horror comedy. Oh, God. Oh, no, God. I would have lost my fucking veto right away. <laughs> <laughs> First episode of the year. That's a terrible film. Very bad film. Yeah,
0: well, a lot of talented people like Chancellor, rapper Paul Shear, lots of funny uh, Zazzy beats. Uh, very poor utilization of all of them. Very bad. Yes, awful film. Yes, yes. But yeah, so it comes at night and the farewell. Very, very curious to talk about that uh, next time. Well, Adam, uh, now that we've done the picking and everything, it's time to end this very special episode. I think the only way we know how by saying, "Nice podcasting, son." What's your name? A Adam. <mental singing> <rhyming> it, it just Adam shows up as a logo, but it's like in MS Paint, and there's a question mark at the end. <laughs>